Welcome to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. Outsourced Accountant Podcast. This is your go-to podcast if you're the owner of an accounting or bookkeeping firm who is looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team. Here, you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity, and deliver more to your clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. I'm Andrew Haynes from Kindred Accounting, and you're listening to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. My name is Trent McLaren, and I am here today with Andrew Haynes, uh, TOA customer, all-round legend, and if you could see what I see, uh, the absolute best person to run a podcast with. He's got the (laughs) microphone, the headset, and everything else. Andrew, how are you? Welcome along. G'day, Trent. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, awesome to have you here with us. How? Where, where are you dialing in from? Tell us. Uh, tell us where you are in the world. Yeah, I'm in beautiful Newcastle, just a little bit up the coast from Sydney. Yep. How's the weather today? It is stunning. It is a really nice day. I, um, we're sitting here, to, here just after lunch, and I went for a little walk around the city at lunchtime. And a bit of sun shining. It was nice. Perfect. Love that. Well, for everyone that's listening, the Outsourced Accountant podcast brings on uh, brings on an accountant uh, that works with uh, TOA that is doing offshoring in their firm. And the idea is that we dive into the things that uh, the firm has gone through to help make that transition and bring in an offshore team. We want to help you understand what's worked for them, but also importantly, what's not worked and how do we help you learn from those mistakes, learn from those wins as you explore and go into your own uh, offshoring journey. So, Andrew, I think just to get started. Why don't you tell us a bit about uh, your business and your history um, of, of the firm? Yeah. So I started Kindred Accounting in April 2018. So we've just had our third birthday. Happy uh, birthday. Thank you. Yeah. I like to say um, that Kindred, at Kindred Accounting, we help business owners control their money so they can enjoy better relationships. And that, Amazing. When I say relationships, I guess that's kind of broad. So that could be relationships with their bankers, with the taxman. No one wants to have a bad relationship with the taxman, with their team. Yeah. So with their team as well. And then for me, a big part of that is family. So going, going out on my own was a bit of a lifestyle decision for me to put family first. Yep. Uh, My wife and I've got four young kids. Wow. And yeah, I wanted that flexibility to be there for all the school things, all those pivotal moments you have when they're growing up. Yep. Um, I'll throw the cliche out there, but you, you never get that time back. No, no, and with four kids, there's a lot of uh, a lot of those moments I can imagine that happen uh, every week, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'd, I'd, it's been really good. I'm not missing out on that stuff. I guess I'm unapologetic about wanting to help my clients and my team have that control over their money and achieve that same goal for themselves. That's my awesome. motivation. Yeah. Love that. Well, it's you know every every firm, every business needs to have a passion and a why for what they do and how they do it. So yeah, awesome that you you know you've been able to create that and, and do that yourself in your own business. Um, so I guess thinking about the way the firm's structured, if you want to talk us through how many people you've got onshore at the moment, how many people you've got offshore um, overseas as well. Yeah, um, our team right now is made up of five people, which is two locally here in Newcastle, myself and an assistant and three offshore with TOA. And I've just hired another accountant, which will be a, a local hire. Mm-hmm. And he'll be joining the team in a, about a week. So we'll be awesome. 50%. Yeah. That's exciting though. Yeah, it is. I'm so pumped. Like, I'm really excited about this next step. Um, awesome. Tell me, tell me about that. What's, where's the excitement coming from? Or what, are you, what is this unlocking for you that you didn't have before? 
Yeah. So I've, I've found at the moment, I'm the roadblock in our business. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our offshore team is absolutely pumping. We've got two accountants and a bookkeeper over there and they are just churning through the work that I, I pass on to them. The way I've structured the business, I'm doing all the relationship stuff with our clients. Yep. I'm the one holding it, holding it up. So they'll be getting work ready for me to sit down and talk to our clients about. And I just can't book the meetings quick enough. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So bringing in this new accountant locally gives you the ability, from what it sounds like, spend more time doing the relationship elements, which you mentioned before was a big core focus, right? Um, so the new accountant coming in will tackle more of the work that the offshore team are feeding back and forward. Is that is that the idea? Yeah, that's the aim. So that they'll go straight into reviewing and supporting that offshore team. And um, I'll be transitioning relationship work to them as we go along. Amazing. So full-time yeah. business development, more lattes and <laughs> carrot cake. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. So um, just rewinding it back a little bit, how did you... So when you started the firm, at what point did you decide you wanted to go offshore? And what, what was your perception of offshoring prior to starting? Yeah, that, that's it's a little bit of an interesting story, I guess. So starting the firm, offshoring wasn't in my mind at all. I'd been aware of it. I'd kind of dabbled a few times just on a, a task-by-task basis. Like I could find... Um, find someone on Odesk or Freelancer and give them some data entry work. But I don't think I was going about, I wasn't going around it in the right way. So to set the scene of how I met Toa, uh, we were a year into starting the business. At, my, at the time, it was just me, the wife doing some admin and bookkeeping. And we had a trainee accountant who was most of the way through uni. And the trainee accountant was recently engaged. He was planning a wedding. He decided to move down to Sydney. Uh, so it's a couple of hours away from where we were doing business and we decided with him, yeah, we'll do the remote work thing. We'll see how that goes. So he set himself up working from home in Sydney and we carried on as usual. But in the back of my mind, I knew I needed a bit of a, a backup plan to de-risk the business. As you know, there's a lot of opportunities down in the big smoke. He was an ambitious guy. Um, I didn't want to be left high and dry having to do all the grunt work myself while trying to find a replacement. Yep. But the business wasn't at a point where I could attract because I was working from home. It's hard mm. to attract people to that environment um, or afford another local employee to, to be there alongside him. How many clients were you working with at this point? Like when you've had the, as this person has stepped out to go into Sydney, how many clients yeah. were you looking after at that point? Well, I, I would say we had about um, 70 or 80 client groups. Big though, that's a lot for one, you know, one to one and a half people to, yeah, to work through and manage. We're working hard. So March 2019, we go. To, I go down to Sydney and catch up with the trainee. His name's Daniel. Daniel, if you're listening, thank you. You were amazing. Um, we go to the Accounting Business Expo, and that's that's where my eyes really opened up to this model of outsourcing. I met Nick there. Yep. The rest is kind of history. I've met a lot of people on this uh, this show that met Nick, saw Nick, or read something that Nick had done, and uh, you know he's obviously very engaged and um, plays a big role in the industry, which is which is awesome. So that's great. So okay, so you went to ABE uh, March 2019, massive conference, Accounting Business Expo for those that have uh, been to before. You met Nick, you met the Tower team. You talk us through what happened next. What happened after that? How did you know what the first hire needed to be? Yeah, so I'm a 
I'm a researcher. If I've decided to buy something, I don't just go to the shops and buy it, right? I need to read the reviews, listen to the podcasts, talk to people who've already got one, assess all the options. So I went through that process and this podcast was a big part of that journey. And I talked to all the vendors that I could at the expo, all roads led back to TOA. All the feedback I was getting from other accountants who were outsourcing was that TOA were, were the best in field. So once I'd signed on, the recu- recruiting and onboarding process, that was all really smooth. Like the support was amazing. You guys held my hand through that. And the part that I found hardest was waiting for that team member to start once we'd yeah. interviewed and selected because it was it was like a six-week wait for them to finish with their current employer and switch over to TOA. Because I was like, oh, I just want them to, to get going, but I had to wait and wait and wait. Totally. Yeah. It's like buying a car sometimes as well, right? You buy, you're like, cool, like when's it arriving? Because I've given the cash over and now I'm just waiting for this thing to arrive in my driveway or whatever it may be. Um, But yeah, notice periods can be, I've seen that a lot in the Philippines. It's generally at least sort of four week notice periods for, for a lot of the guys there. So there is always that piece of, you know, you've met them, you've you've had a really good rapport, you're feeling really good about it. And then, you know, as you said, four, six weeks go by. I'm like, man, I do so much in that six weeks that I don't even know what yeah. headspace I'd be in at that point. So you've mentioned you got two accounts and a bookkeeper. How did you know which one you needed to hire first? I think I probably picked up a couple of things from some podcasts I'd listened to. I wouldn't remember who who would have drop the knowledge, but I decided I needed to go with a high-level employee for the first hire. Yep. Um, so I, I went with a guy who's a CPA qualified accountant. Um, I knew he'd have a really good handle on the debits and the credit. He'd worked for a, he had like a commercial background with an Australian company he'd been working for over there. So he had some GST knowledge, mm-hmm. but he didn't have experience working in zero or dealing with tax and small business stuff. So he was really personable. So the interview was more about me trying to understand if we'd be a good fit together as two people and if culturally he'd be a good fit to sort of lead the the team offshore going forward. Because I thought that first hire, who was coming in second, they'd kind of always feel like they were second fiddle to the guy that was there first, right? The first person kind of needs to be the leader. Totally. I think um, you really nailed it there in my mind because if, you, if you've if you never offshored before, you've never worked with anyone overseas before, different cultures, language barriers, they interpret things in different ways. The most important thing for me personally, because I had to go through this hiring my, um, I've talked about Tom, my EA, a little bit on prior episodes of the show, but I had to interview a couple of people and in one meeting for 30 minutes, I can't really tell how good you're going to be, right? I need to just understand, can we communicate and talk to each other in a way that you know what I'm saying, you can replay it back to me and I, I've got the confidence that you'll be able to either ask for help or know what you're doing. Um, so I think to your point, like, you know, can we communicate? Is this going to be a cultural fit? In a 30-minute window that you've got to speak to multiple people, um, that's got to be like, that's key, right? Like that's, mm. how many people did you interview before you picked the one you had? It would have been four or five. Four or five, and was it like based on what I was just saying, were they kind of the defining factors to yeah. what led the hire? It all came down to communication, just how yep. well we were understanding each other, getting along. Very cool. So, okay, you've hired this CPA, commercial experience, didn't have the zero side. How did you go with uh, training and getting them up to speed? Did you have a did you put a training plan in place, or is this something? And you know, and my my follow up to this really is like, how long did it take to get yeah. this person ramped up and firing? Yeah, so- by the time those six weeks were up, like it was the end of June, it was July. So we just threw him right in the deep end. Um, but I, I made sure I was available consistently throughout each day. 
Um, so we could talk about what he was learning. We could unpack anything he was finding challenging. We could overcome the roadblocks. Yeah, so actual tasks we would have been giving him was reviewing clients' bookkeeping for year ends, working on the bring work papers together. Um, we've got a, a larger client where he sort of immediately picked up the bookkeeping payroll and the management reporting. He learned zero in particular, like really, really quick. And I, I put that down to him having the debits and credits stuff really good. So it's, not, it's easy to learn accounting software when you already know how accounting works. Yeah. Did you say it was like, so six weeks, you're into July. At what point were you feeling comfortable with the progress? I'd say maybe a month in, like I was feeling really good about it. Like okay. I definitely wasn't second guessing the decision I'd made. I knew what we were doing was working. Um, Amazing. We weren't, we weren't smashing it, um, but I could see every day we were getting better. Yeah. Very happy with that. So you put the first one on, you're feeling comfortable after a month. Um, at what point do you decide to bring on a second and third hire? And was that what came first, the accountant or the bookkeeper? The bookkeeper was next. Yep. And we made that decision three months in, um, so three months after the, the first guide started. And that was that decision was just made because we had a chunk of bookkeeping work that we could immediately give her and it meant I could already see the, the accountant that I'd hired was above that bookkeeping work and I could progress him onto more advanced tasks and I just, it was just part of that process to bring in the bookkeeper. And what kind of experience did they have when you brought them on? Uh, she had a bit of experience in accounts payable, um, general ledger, that sort of data entry. No, no zero again. So she was learning zero from scratch, but um, she'd been using SAP and some other similar corporate level software. Yep. Those first few months, like we get the offshore team involved in all the work now. So they'll take year end jobs through start to finish, prepare the activity statements, draft tax planning forecasts like across the board. Um, I used to think I was good at Excel before I had these guys in my team. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That's funny. I feel like when they're passionate about something, they really uh, get into it and get after it. Is there mm. any work you're not comfortable giving them at the moment? Yeah. So it's the, the touchy-feely relationship building sort of local work. And it's not something I could easily give them anyway. I guess that if someone wanted to, they could try and set up a, an outsourced business to do that. But I want to sit down face-to-face with my clients and shake the hands when we're allowed to with COVID and yep. strategy with them. That's just the nature of the business that I want to build. Yeah. Um, so in terms of then all the accounting related tasks, and I guess the reason I'm following up and asking is a lot of people get unsure about what work can I give my offshore team? Is there any particular work that's going to be too far above them or is there anything that's too far below them? Um, yeah. Does that happen for you guys? Is there anything you're like, no, no, it's okay. We'll keep that onshore besides the relationship soft mm. skills piece you can't like you really can't send that over yeah um, is there any technical skills or technical work that you think no nah, no nah, we need to keep that here when i when i think about someone asking me that questions the advice i'd give them is to stop thinking about it in those terms of like offshore and onshore because i think you can literally give them anything you just have to hire the right people for the specific roles that you want yeah or if they don't have the skills then you need to invest your time in training them how to do what you want them to do. I love that. I love that. So there is no onshore or offshore. We're all we're all just one people, right? We're one people. That's right. I love that. That is that is good. That's probably my first uh that's a good uh key point to kind of lean on. So the way you kind of view and structure the business is that you're just finding the right person for the right job, right? In it doesn't matter where they are. 
Yeah, that's it. So our, our most recent hire, I found someone with a specific industry knowledge and I brought them into the team and that they've been working on a client in that industry and just gone from strength to strength. Perfect. I love that. That's really cool. So I guess thinking through everything we've talked through so far, what is the advice? Like you've done the research, you've done the training, you've brought three people on, you've had to do the adjustments and um, change the way that you work day to day, how you work with them. What advice would you give to someone that's just starting out on this journey? Would you tell them to go and do all the research or would you say, you know what, here's the, the three things that you really should be aware of? I think everyone needs to do their own research. Um, so get out and learn about how it's going to work, how it would work for you. Um, make sure you're comfortable taking that step. And when you when you do decide, just go all in on it. Yeah, cool. Anything that they someone should be mindful of or aware of? In in onboarding and training their team? Um, yeah, during that recruitment piece and also... So I'll start with recruitment. My follow-up to that would be then in the training mm. parts. Nothing Nothing springs to mind. It was the, the six-week wait was the big thing to me. I would, if I was aware of that up front, I might have jumped earlier. Yep. Okay, as in you would have hired earlier or you would have yeah, tried would to find... Have, I, wish I, I wish I'd hired a bit earlier. Yeah. No, it took that long to get them on board. Yeah, and have they all been six weeks or was it just the first one? The, the most recent wasn't. They, they were, they'd moved cities, so they were looking for a job so they could come on straight away. What about the training, like my own stories where I, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Philippines culture, they are the, between the first and third most emotional country in the world fluctuates. And for me, that translates to that they, they love to keep you happy and everything for them translates a lot better in emotions than it does in, say, um, I don't know, business impact, right? I can say to someone, hey, you did a really good job. We increased something by 20%. But then I can say, you did a really good job. And that made Tom do his job way better than he could have done it before. I'm really stoked. Like, thank you so much for helping him improve yeah. his. And they respond a lot better that because that for them is like, oh, that's awesome. I love that because naturally more emotional country. But I also know that they yeah. love to say yes a lot, right? Yeah. So even if I've said, hey, did that make sense? He's like, yeah, that made sense. I'm like, can you just replay back to me exactly what I just said so I know that you know? And I, yeah. for that reason, it's like, I believe you, but I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. And they'll replay it back and I'm like, no, that's not it. <laughs> but there is a natural habit there to just say yes. Have you had any like thinking cultural differences and knowing about what you know with your, your team? Have you picked up on any of those kinds of things? That's, that's so interesting what you're saying about the emotional differences because I, I wasn't aware of that, but I can reflect back on specific times when delivered positive feedback in that fashion and seen how stoked they were about it. Um, so you've just kind of flicked a switch in my head for me. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. You're welcome. Yeah, that's amazing. I've heard other stories, the reverse of it, where there was a, and this is a different company, um, not Toa, not a Toa person, but it's an offshoring outsourcing story altogether, where a team member had been awarded something. They'd gotten a certificate. They were best employee in the office or whatever it is overseas. And it wasn't acknowledged in the Slack channel or the group or whatever. Yeah. There wasn't a post about it. There was nothing. And this team member, everyone was like, oh, this is great. Great for that person. Team member end up writing a letter saying, I hate my employer. I hate where I work. I'm really upset about it. They don't care about me. And when they started to dig a little bit deeper, they're like, what's going on? Like, you've just been awarded this thing. Everyone thinks you're great. If you'd asked the office manager, they were like, no, they're, they're, we, we love that person. They're amazing. You dig really, really deep. It's just that there was no acknowledgement on in the group amongst the peers to kind of celebrate them to do that with. And then once they figured out that it wasn't possible because the office team that run the Slack channel, they weren't informed about this award because it only happened the night before. So mm. because it happened the night before, no one on the Slack office team had been aware of. 
this person had a meltdown by like sort of lunchtime afternoon going like, what's going on? Yeah. That got rectified really quickly. Here's a certificate. Here's, you know, um, we're so grateful. So thankful you work with us. You make everyone's lives a lot easier to work with. Complete 180. But this person went from jumping off the ledge of I'm going to leave on the back of that emotional benefit, that emotional payoff that they love. You need to be so intentional about that when the team's offshore and remote because you can't just waltz around the office building people up unless there's a structure there to, to make sure you're posting those achievements and the totally. impact that you've had in, in some sort of channel. Then. That virtual water cooler piece is so important. You can't do that. Um, I know we talked about, you know, there is no onshore, offshore, but just multiple locations. Like I can't go down to my, if I had a team in Sydney, I can't just walk around and slap them on the back, high five and, yeah. and do all of that. I've got to intentionally pick up the phone, jump on a Teams call and include them and, you know, organize a delivery of something, send them cakes, send them swag. Like, and I've seen it happen the other way. I've seen Philippines-based teams sending gifts back to partners back in Australia, like different random cases of beer turning up and all these guys have chipped in to, to make it happen um, because there's been that cultural bond and connection between team members in both, you know, different offices. Yeah, um, the guy I share an office with, yeah, he's a financial planner, so he's got a an offshore person and they organized a pizza to turn up on his birthday. It was amazing. I love that. That's really cool. But I think that just speaks to, for me, that's always speaks to, you touched on this before, that whatever I put the kindred team through here, mm. I'm putting the exact same through the kindred team overseas, right? Everyone gets everyone gets a birthday cake is the easiest way to think about it, regardless of where you are sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love all of that. When you think about success of your teams, like you mentioned that they're crunching it, they're killing the work, you guys are getting through so much. How did you define success with them? What does success look like from their perspective? When when they first started, I I defined success for them in terms of quality rather than speed. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make it really clear to them that we weren't trying to crunch out work as fast as we could and that the most important thing to me and to our clients was that we were getting everything right. We weren't missing any details because once we had that consistent quality, we built trust between us and then we could shift the focus away from quality and onto getting things done a bit quicker. And that was our initially defined success for us. Did you communicate that with them as well? Like so that they were aware of what the key focus was? Yeah, that was something we, we spoke about day to day wasn't just uh, something we posted in a channel and said, oh, we're going after quality. Um, so every time we spoke about a job, we we're coming back to it and going, let's make sure we're not missing anything. Do you have any questions? What can we talk about to help you learn? And any, is there any like key KPIs that you guys measure against day-to-day? Yeah. So day-to-day, we measure output. So the vast majority of our work's recurring. Uh, yep. Each sort of season. Each cycle, um, we'll set a target for when we want to have all of those jobs achieved. Mm-hmm. And we'll just break that into a daily and a weekly hurdle and measure against that. Um, yep. So we track all those jobs in Do carbon. I was about to ask, actually, yeah, just from a tech perspective, I love I love talking tech, although I try to avoid it because I could be yeah. running a whole show on tech just by itself. So you guys are running on um, carbon. Are you on carbon on day from day one? Yeah, carbon from day one. Nice. Team enjoy that as well? Yeah, I think they really like it. We can definitely collaborate really well in there. Just uh, sharing the knowledge and adding comments to help people, the jobs they're working on, um, the tasks in there and the way we can sort of tick off what we've done and where it's up to and I can look at a job and see who's handling it. Yeah. Carbon's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. 
Perfect. Love that. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people um, that, you know, with, with great positive experiences, they're obviously, you know, veteran team building that product. So good on them. When you think about client impact and just client perception, is this when, because this is a sticky one for some people, right? They don't want to talk to their clients about the fact that they have team members overseas. How have you guys approached that? Is that something you've kept quiet? Is it something that you're open about with clients? How do you approach it? We, yeah, we were absolutely open about it. Um, I, I wouldn't have felt right keeping it quiet. Um, I want our clients to know who's touching their work, how we're handling it. Um, so our, our tower team are on our website. Um, I talk about them with clients. Uh, yeah, just completely transparent. Perfect. And have you had feedback from clients before where they've kind of noted and said, hey, I realize this person did the work or, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I make no. a joke as I say this because I don't know many small businesses that say, oh, that that tax return, that was awesome. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing job on that tax return. Good job. Um, I, I haven't had any anyone give me feedback about um, who's handling the work or no one, no clients have raised concerns. And I think that comes down to communicating well with them upfront about what we're doing. And is that like verbal? Is that through verbal? Is it email? Is there a particular way that you communicate it? It's verbal. Um, yeah, it's verbal. It's in our engagement letters, but let's be honest, most people don't read those. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just at the initial meeting. From my days at PI, I would always say that to people. It's like, you can do this really quickly. Like it'll happen, but most clients are going to spend two, three minutes max. It's like, what are you doing for me? How much is it going to cost? How do I not print this and get it back to you basically? Or how do I pay? Um, yeah, that happens all the time. So I guess there's two kind of key questions I want to talk through before we sort of start to, to wrap up and get f- final key points from yourself. But um, thinking around people's strategies, mapping out a people's strategy, um, is that something you sit down every year and kind of go, cool, this is what we're going to need for the year? Or is it month by month, case by case based on the work coming in? It's I'd assess that year by year, sort of sit down and look at how much work we're going to have for the next year and look at our capacity. Um, but I'd, I'd be the first to admit I don't have any sort of formal people strategy mapped out. My gut feel is that a, a 50-50 mix is going to be really good for where we're at right now for this coming year. Yep. And I've found three to be a bit of a magic number for our offshore team. So that's okay. kind of got me a bit, a bit pumped up about having three people in our local team as well. Like two... Is yeah, it's it's not quite the same. Three is kind of magical. Yeah, I, there's you you got a small team there, right? It's not just like you're a, a duo. It's like you're yeah, yeah, three people together building something. Like it's yeah, exciting. Three is a team. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, are they all working from home at the moment? Are they working in an office together? Um, the in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, they're all working from home at the moment. Yeah, and they nice. they've really liked that. I I'd be really comfortable if they were back in the office, but I'm happy for, to wait until the, the COVID situation is safe for them to do so because their, their well-being is my main priority. Oh, 100%. We um, try to talk about it openly as much as we can here, um, you know, health and wellness, uh, regardless of where you are in the world. Uh, we, we have teams in North America or in Philippines, here in Australia. Um, it's making sure that everyone is safe and they've got access to all the things they need for that. So, um, yeah, remote working where, where required or where needed is, is you know, we review it all case by case, obviously, but ultimately, are they safe? Are they healthy? Can they work? Perfect. Let's... Um, Let's keep working through that. So, yeah, awesome. So, this is question's going to, I think I already know the answer because we talked about it at the start. But uh, for me, from what you've said, offshoring is helping contribute to your 
the time and what you spend on day to day. Do you? It's a silly question because I know the answer already. But how, do you think this has helped contribute to the work life balance side of things? Yeah, a hundred percent. It's been it's been massive for my work life balance. Um, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but six six months into our Toa journey, we welcomed twins into the world. Uh, wow. Our third and fourth kids. Um, so that was a big, big change in our personal lives. And I, I don't know how, how we would have gotten through that without uh, the two people I had in the Toa team at that time. Twins, mate. That's, that's congratulations. That's huge. Oh, really? yeah. <laughs> that's huge. They're about a year and a half old now. So I heard I a funny know. joke about it much easier for it until they're a bit older. I heard a funny joke that is safe that I'll, I'll happily share. You tell me if it's true or not. So they said, basically this person says to me, imagine you're swimming in, this is about having twins. Yeah. Imagine you're sitting, uh, you're in the pool or the ocean, you're you know, treading water, just trying to keep your head above water. Someone puts their foot on your head and then hands you two, two twins in your hands. He said, that's what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> Can only imagine. Well, um, it's just flipping to to talking about your team. How, how if you had to, for whatever reason, let's say your team had to stop working for you next week, um, what kind of impact would that have on your business? That would be devastating. Um, I don't know how we'd, we'd keep supporting our clients without the team. It's going way beyond what I can do by myself now. Yeah, awesome. So it's it sounds like it's um, been a pretty pivotal key part of your journey, right? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I love that. Is there any um, final notes from yourself? Any any key points, something that you think we've covered a little bit, but not enough? You know, what would be the first steps or the recommendation you'd give to anyone that's heard what we yeah. talked about today? We, we did touch on this earlier, um, which is that we're, we're one people. And I do, I do get that objection from time to time. And it's usually from other accountants. Yeah, um, hearing that that having an offshore team is like taking jobs away from Australia, and we won't have young accountants coming through here. And I, I sort of disagree with that on on two levels. The first level is I think it's just a shift in the way we do business as accountants. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to want a local team, but the roles are changing, and the way we train new accountants will just have to adjust to that new dynamic. It's just going to have to adjust to fit. Yeah, and secondly. I just fundamentally disagree with the us first them protectionist mentality. Yeah. If you're growing a business and creating jobs for people in the Philippines, I think that deserves just as much applause as creating jobs here because we're we're all equal and we're all in this together. I mean, you still pay your taxes. So it's <laughs> uh, it's not like you're contributing to the economy any differently. The one thing I also note out of similar conversation but typically you sort of said it before if you didn't have your offshore team when you started you wouldn't have been able to grow and take on the clients that you did and in turn you now have two other onshore team members as well so the fact that you could hire those three offshore has allowed you to grow and employ people onshore Mm. does that make sense so like it's It's um, uh, once you start to understand that the people you're bringing in offshore is to help take you because you can't find anyone in Australia that wants to do half of the, the work that we get our the Philippines based teams to do sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah, fi- finding the people with the, the talent is the hardest part of being a business owner. 
and I think a lot of that stigma started to drop as a result because people are desperately trying to find, you know, junior accounts that want to come through the ranks, the graduates or whatever it is. Um, now they're starting, they're having to look through their options, right? So um, I know for Patel, we've seen a huge increase of that over the last sort of 24 months or so. Um, on the back of exactly that. It's just so hard to find the right people. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Mate, I love that. This has been an awesome uh, chat. Thank you so much for coming in and testing out your professional uh, podcasting equipment with us. It's greatly appreciated. I'm so so stoked having listened to so many podcasts early on in my journey. So it's, it's a pleasure. I love it. Good chat. Good opportunity for you to give back on the, the journey that you've been on as well. It's great. Yeah. Thank you. Very cool. Well, thank you everyone for coming along for this episode with Andrew Haynes. Uh, Andrew, if people wanted to reach out to you and chat to you about your journey, um, you know, A, is that okay? But B, if it is, where can they get in contact with you? Is it a website, email, LinkedIn? What's your preference? If anyone wants to chat, you can reach me on email, andrew at kindredaccounting.com or the usual social channels. If you search Andrew Haynes, I'm probably going to turn up. (laughs) Perfect. Love that. Well, thank you everyone for coming along. If you are new to the outsourced accountant or you're new to the idea of offshoring, we have many more episodes that you can go and play back through exactly like Andrew has done. Um, We have many, many stories of people that have uh, shared the good, the bad and the ugly of their their journeys that we encourage everyone to get amongst and and across. It's important for everyone to do their research as we talked about in this episode and any questions, we are always here to help. Thanks for coming along. Thank you, Andrew. Have a great afternoon. You're listening to the Outsource Accountant Podcast. To follow our podcast, visit the Outsource Accountant or head to the Outsource Accountant Podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. To connect with us on Twitter, look for our handle at Toa Global or find us on LinkedIn at Toa Global. Like our Facebook page at The Outsource Accountant. Catch you on the next episode of The Outsource Accountant Podcast. Thanks and have a great day.